0: What's up, you guys? Sean Ross at Fightful.com. Here with a name you know. One of the, the biggest names in wrestling interviewing. And you know what? We've interviewed him before. We did it in front of a bunch of chicken tenders and pizza. And I can't remember what else that we, we had there. We'll talk about it in a bit. We got Chris Van Vliet. Chris, how are you?
2: Where's the pizza, Sean? Where's yeah, I pizza? did.
0: <laughs> Denise does those giveaways on Twitter all the time now. Uh, so that's her gimmick. No more food for you. We're starving you
2: out. That was so fun. We did that in Las Vegas. Like, that was, man, that was two and a half years ago. That was double yeah. nothing, nothing weekend 2019. And you were like, hey, we're trying this new thing called Fightful Feast. Can you come up to our hotel room and, drink and eat some pizza? We, we drank beer too.
0: Yeah. Oh, I didn't. I've never drank, but yeah. But well, you know, I drank the best a the, beer, the most fun part of that is. We didn't pay for it, Jimmy did. That, that
2: is, so, thank you, Jimmy Van.
0: Yeah, and I, I hit up Jimmy and I was like, you know, I think it might be a little more cost effective to just not do that,
2: <laughs> especially with the prices of room service at yeah. Las Vegas.
0: Yeah, so it's interesting. Anytime I go to Toronto, Jimmy puts me in like a five star hotel, and I had to legitimately say to him, Jimmy, stop. And he's like, why? And I said because in five star hotels they don't have fridges or microwaves because they assume you are rich enough to just order the room service all the time so they don't even bother. I was like so I got I like I I can't
2: afford this Jimmy. What are we talking about? Is he putting you up at the Royal York in Toronto?
0: I've been to the Shangri-La um Ooh. and where else? There there's a couple really good ones or two or three really good ones like he he treats me very well there. It's very awesome like Well, he treats you really well just in general though. <laughs> Well, you know what, Chris, you treat the wrestling world very well. Uh, you've been like, you've been the source of some of the the best interviews, some of the most in-depth interviews quite in wrestling history. Like you're, you're one of the best interviewers, period. And you came from a background that doesn't necessarily happen a ton. Like we see some people cross over from, from mainstream news and, and uh, affiliates and things like that, but At what point did you know, like, hey, I want to do both of these things?
2: Well, thank you for the kind words, and right back at you. You do some incredible interviews, and I don't know how you don't have more subscribers on the YouTube channel. It's wild. Begging them. Begging them. For me, I've worked as an entertainment reporter for my entire career, so when you're interviewing comedians and actors and directors— they're just people in the space of entertainment. So it was 2007. I was working for MTV 2 Canada in Vancouver. Oh. We're interviewing all kinds of like musicians and comedians and all that stuff. And I saw that Smackdown and ECW was coming to town. And I asked my boss, I said, do you think we could interview a wrestler? And she goes, yeah, we've, we've done that before. Like, absolutely. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to get paid to talk to a wrestler And I was a massive wrestling fan, always really passionate about wrestling. I trained to be a pro wrestler for a few months, was a backyard wrestler. So all of that. And I was like, oh, my gosh, like it's my two passions colliding here, broadcasting and pro wrestling in one. And it was just kind of right place, right time. Every different TV station I went to in whatever city I was living in. I just kind of became known as the guy who liked wrestling because, as you know, that's what happens when you like wrestling. You talk about it, and people know about it, and that's your thing. So whenever Raw, SmackDown, or Impact would come to town, you know, twice a year, three times a year, I would be doing whatever I could to get those interviews. And that's kind of where it was. So it was an interview with a wrestler. Also, while I was doing interviews with, like, Leonardo DiCaprio and Denzel Washington and Oprah and the rock and so on and so on.
0: Did you ever get any pushback from any of the places you worked? Like maybe, maybe don't interview wrestlers or lean away from it at all.
2: I never got pushed back like, don't do it, because when you're doing local entertainment news, there's only so much you can do in a day. And when, when an event like that's coming to the local arena, like I think of when I lived in Cleveland, when an event like that's coming to the Quicken Loans Arena, that's a pretty big deal. Like, let's cover that. In the same way that I would cover, like, Disney on Ice, I would always do segments with them, or I'd always do segments with Monster Jam. But there was a point in Cleveland when my news director said to me, like, Hey, we've done a lot of wrestling recently. And he was right. It was like three interviews in the last six months on TV. And he's like, you know, maybe we just hold off on the wrestling for a little while. And I was like, okay, cool. Like I'll approach this again three months from now or six months from now.
0: And did you like, how, how was the follow-up?
2: I think it was just like, we missed out on one house show or something. But then like when they came back for raw, I think it was, we're just right back in there. Like, It was cool to me. And I also kind of realized during that time that I would do these longer, like longer interviews. They they seemed long at the time. They're not long at all now, but 10, 15 minutes with, I'm trying to think of some really early ones. Mick Foley, when he was with impact, Jeff Hardy, when he was with impact, Jeff Jarrett and Eric young at the same time, right? When impact wrestling was going by impact wrestling and not TNA. And they'd gotten rid of the six sided ring. And, I was there right in front of the guy being like, hey, so what happened to the six-sided ring? Did you just show up one day and it wasn't there? (laughs) So I was doing these 10 to 15-minute interviews, asking questions that I just genuinely cared about as a fan. We would run, you know, the 20, 30-second soundbite on TV. But I was kind of realizing with the way that the broadcast model is, unless you're watching Channel 19 at exactly 4.17 p.m. on that Wednesday, you'd never see it. So I just started taking these raw, uncut interviews, putting them on my YouTube channel just kind of as a place for them to live, like a digital library, if you will. And a few of them just started getting picked up by people on Reddit or people were embedding them in wrestling news sites. And it really started to make me think differently about how I approach these interviews. So I was going to ask you about that. Like, were there
0: any, like, clearances you had to go through? Because you are going to a lot of these things on behalf of these news news outlets but quite frankly once they run they they don't have use for them they're not they weren't uploading them to youtube at the time they weren't a lot of places don't house them on their websites or anything like that they would run them and then that would be it did you have to go through individual clearances at each place did you have any pushback from that any any like legal or copyright issues that that you faced there
2: this was in the early days of YouTube. like This was 2011 when I started my channel. So I don't think they looked at YouTube as any different than posting that on your Facebook page or posting that on your Twitter because Instagram wasn't even really a thing at that time. So nobody really was talking about it. And then one of my colleagues was like, oh, did you know that you can make money from those interviews? And I went, what? He goes, yeah, yeah." (laughs) YouTube has this thing called AdSense and you can make a little bit of money. Like You're not going to get rich off of it, but there's some money to be made there. And I went, hold on, how, what, what is this? He goes, yeah, you just go in, you click this button, you fill out a form and all of a sudden you're going to start to get paid. And I went, I, th- I'm blown away by this. And it was a few hundred bucks here and there, but I think I was just kind of doing this as like, I wanted other wrestling fans to appreciate the questions that I was asking because this is 10 years ago. No one was really asking those types of questions There were shoot interviews at that time. I was not interested in doing any sort of shooting. I was just genuinely curious and wanted to know the answers.
0: And the way that I've always looked at that is I had mentioned this in my interview with you. There are some people that are like, Oh, why are you posting this? Is this news? And I'm like, if I find it interesting, somebody Mm -hmm. else will find it interesting. And that was one of the things that gave you a lot of credibility in my eyes as I was a young wrestling news writer and I was looking for news I was like, this guy is a t- looks like a, a TV star. You're, you're a handsome fella. You're holding wow. a microphone. And I expected you to be like, oh, how's that travel? Those bumps are, are really rough, huh? And it wasn't. It was you asking introspective, interesting questions to these wrestlers that
2: a lot of people, a lot of podcasts couldn't get away with asking too. And I was just, I was doing this, not just with wrestlers. I was doing this with any interview that I was doing. And again, to kind of piggyback off of what you were saying, if it was interesting to me, I just assumed it would be interesting to other people. And I was realizing with interviews, like I was doing a lot of interviews with the twilight saga. That was big at the (laughs) time hunger games. That was big at the time. And they're used to kind of answering questions in the same way. They're used to giving like, you know, their stock answers. And I was realizing in the comments that little things they would do in the interview, like little glances or little like w- words they would use would be the things that fans would really pick up on. Mm-hmm. So I did this interview with Benedict Cumberbatch and there was a meme where Benedict Cumberbatch <laughs> looks like an otter. You should look, you can look this up. He looks like an otter. So I asked him about it and it was the first time someone had ever asked him about it. And I'm like, well, if I find this interesting, Benedict Cumberbatch fans will also find this interesting. You pull it up.
0: it up. I just looked it up. Yeah. <laughs>
2: so, so it was just little things like that where I'm like, how can I think outside of the box? Because most of these celebrity interviews we were doing are what they call a junket interview. Yes. The instead of taking the star of the movie and flying them to all of the different cities, they fly all of the journalists into one city and do all the interviews in a day or two. So. 40 50 60 interviews in a day and they're like four minutes long so they sit in one chair and every four minutes someone else rotates in and out and i was trying to do whatever i could to make those interviews as different as possible and make myself stand out when you're at those
0: junkets because i've never done like mainstream entertainment stuff like that i've done wwe stuff AEW stuff it's only wrestling stuff and comic con stuff do you bring your own equipment or do they like film it and then send it to you? How does that work? Oh,
2: this is, this is a full service thing. They take care of everything.
0: Oh, that's incredible. So they've
2: got an entire Let's crew. Nice. There. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's great. It's often a company called junket productions who is okay. just so, so good at what they do, but they fly you in. They put you up at a very nice hotel. They give you money within the hotel to spend on food or drinks because it doesn't have a microwave or a fridge in it. <laughs> of course not. No. <laughs> and then you, it's it's quite an interesting it's quite an interesting thing when you do it for the first time because you sit in a hallway outside of a hotel room door that has the name of the person that you're going to be interviewing on it. Oh, you're lined wow. up there. They're like, "Okay, Sean, you're going to be fourth. You're up after uh, Kevin and Jake." And you're like, "Okay, cool." So you're kind of like, "Okay, so that's four people. I'm I'm up in 16 minutes." Okay, great. And then you're all sitting there like waiting for the interview. And then the big star will walk down the hallway of the hotel with their makeup artist and their publicist and maybe security if it's someone really big. And you're kind of like, Oh, there's the rock on. And, and then you kind of sit there and you're like, okay, this is happening. It's happening in 16 minutes. Then one person goes in, this is happening in 12 minutes. Now this is happening in eight minutes. Now I'm next. And that's kind of how that all works. And then when you leave there they give you an envelope full of your media cards, and you're good to go.
0: So, um, I, I I do a lot of WWE junkets. You do primarily long form WWE or pro wrestling interviews at this point. You have done the junket style, the red carpet style in the past. Like, what has encouraged you to do less of the the junket red carpet stuff in the pro
2: wrestling sense? I'd probably be doing more of that if it existed like you know the last year and a half has been strange just in terms yeah. of how things get covered and the silver lining is we the pandemic happened at a time where we can connect to each other like we are right now through a yeah. zoom window or whatever you want to be using but i want to i want to dive in deep i want to have like deep conversations with someone and the cool thing about a red carpet is the energy on a red carpet is exciting there's thousands of screaming fans. And the, the energy is there and the anticipation for the event or the movie that they're going to watch. I love all of that, but you can't have a real deep conversation with somebody. And that's not to say I wouldn't do that, but I love being able to dive in 30 minutes, 45 minutes, an hour into somebody's backstory selfishly, because I want to know like how they got to where they're at. Like they're, they're the best for a reason. And I think that too often in life, we see just the finished product. And I don't think that we see the stumbles along the way. So I like to be able to go like, yeah, yeah, but who were you before this happened? Or what was the first break that really led you there? Or when did you start to doubt yourself? I love hearing that stuff because it humanizes that person and also makes us realize, oh, if they struggled and I'm currently struggling, that's okay. That's part of the process.
0: And uh, along the way, again, you've done... Tons of stuff across entertainment and wrestling. Most viewed video right now on your channel, Donald Glover, like $8 million last time I looked. As that's climbing and that's accelerating, what's going through your mind?
2: <laughs> so he was doing press for that movie Solo, which is a, a great movie. I also got to interview Ron Howard that day. And his video for This Is America had just come out. And great video.
0: One of my favorites.
2: It's, it's a piece of art. Yeah. And sometimes the studio or a publicist will say like hey let's stick to the movie or they might say with Angelina Jolie no personal questions and you just kind of go oh i know what they're saying here okay yes. great There was no guidance for this Donald Glover one and there was a lot of controversy if you recall when that video first came out Yeah And i went well if they haven't told us to not ask about it i'm going to ask about it And also like we're promoting solo at the same time. Like the, you know, the word will be on the screen there the entire time. So I just want to ask him. And I asked him like, would you explain this? And he basically said, no, no, (laughs) like it speaks for itself. And his answer is brilliant, right? Like the childish Gambino video does speak for itself and you can interpret this however you want. It's art. And after that, I mean, it wasn't a huge answer. It wasn't a great answer, but after the interview wrapped up, I went, Oh, that's gonna be news and I remember as soon as I got the cards that I just spoke about I went back to the area where they had like the food set up I grabbed my laptop and I started encoding these interviews started editing the interviews on the spot and I had this interview uploaded and on my YouTube channel before I was even in the uber to go to the airport later that day to take a red-eye to fly back to Miami and I think by the time I got to the airport, it already had like thirty thousand views, like Amazing. in an hour or something. And then by the time I boarded the flight, it was already in the hundreds of thousands. And then by the time I landed, five hours later in Miami, it was in the multiple hundreds of thousands of views. And I went, "Oh, yes, yeah. like this it's is gonna something.
0: work. It's gonna work." And a couple of other clips that did huge for you were the Dakota Johnson Leslie Mann one, and then the Anne Hathaway one, which are more playful and fun than just like, this person said this. It's you seeing their unique senses of humor as opposed to they're answering this question about this movie at a junket.
2: And I think that people always point to like the Dakota Johnson and Leslie Mann interview of like, oh, they were hitting on you. Like, yeah, we were we were having a lot of fun and by it, no means was I ever uncomfortable. It was a great yeah. time. I thought the interview was gonna do well because Dakota Johnson's relatively reserved and- yeah. Kind of boring sometimes in interviews. Yeah. And all of my friends who had interviewed her that day, they were like, I remember my friend specifically walking out of that room before me and being like, like, good luck with that. Like, you're not going to get anything from this. And I went in just with a positive attitude and a lot of energy and, you know, went the way that it did. I thought it was going to be a, a, like, I thought people were going to watch this interview because she showed some personality. Sure. I didn't realize it was going to turn into what it ended up turning into.
0: Plus, you knew it was going to do good traffic because Judd Apatow is about to kick your ass
2: for Leslie <laughs> Dude, When Judd Apatow tweeted me about did that. I, so I never saw that. What did he John say? Judd Apatow like, basically tweeted that we should have a foursome, and I'm like, yeah, let's, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> Had you ever talked
0: to Judd Apatow before? No, and something? I still
2: haven't talked to him.
0: Wow, doesn't follow through. He ghosted you. Judd Apatow ghosted wow. Chris Van Vliet.
2: There's your headline.
0: Wow, that's that's gonna be my clip. It's gonna outdo, it's gonna outdo the 2.6 million that yours did. Now,
2: but Dakota Johnson did apologize for, it, which I thought was really interesting because at no point was I ever uncomfortable or uneasy. But I interviewed her maybe a yearish later for a movie called Bad Times at the Al Royale, and we went to this beautiful oh, so hotel. Good. Yeah, we went to this beautiful hotel in Lake Tahoe, and I walked in, and she kind of went oh, are you the guy that Leslie Mann and I hit on? And I said, yeah, but that was fun. Like, that was great. And then as soon as the camera started rolling, she's like, I would like to formally apologize for that. Like, on behalf of Leslie Mann and I, we are sorry. And I'm like, ah, it's all good. That was fun.
0: That is, uh, wow. And I guess at that point, you kind of gotta, you gotta like, just in case. In, in the, the environment. Yeah, or I
2: feel like though, if I had interviewed Leslie Mann right after that, she might've been like, Hey, you like, you want some more? I don't know.
0: Yeah. Different, different personalities and senses of humor and all that stuff uh, for sure. Uh, your, your most viewed wrestling interview is the big show on the scene by some, by some beautiful water in Florida. And I remember that was, that was one of the interviews like at that point, the big show didn't do a lot of interviews, Paul white. um, And that was one where he was, you, he gave you some time. It was about 15, 20 minutes. You got some really good questions in. How did that come together? Was that like spur of the moment or something? Was that in conjunction with something else? I mean,
2: the view was beautiful too. First of all, that's the parking lot for my old TV station. WS really? Yeah. They've got waterfront parking lots on there's it's all, basically on a little island yeah oh my god. Oh, it's beautiful i had a view from my office window that was the biscayne bay which was beautiful so we started using that as a an interview like a casual interview spot but wwe reached out to me because they had just announced that wrestlemania was going to be in orlando mm-hmm. and they figured miami would be a good market to do press in because it's about a three-hour drive to orlando so they said the big shows doing an interview, like doing press. Do you want to do it? I said, yeah, of course. Like for sure. We got almost 20 minutes did the interview and it started getting some pretty good traction. I think it was up to like hundred or 200,000 views. And I don't know what happened, but I woke up one day and the interview had like a copyright strike on it and was taken down. And I'm like, this doesn't even make sense. Like what happened here? So I had to re-upload the video and I'm like, oh man, like all the traction that I had with this interview is now gone. It's going to go from the 150,000 views that we had to like 150 views. Yeah. And I re-uploaded it and it was chugging along like a thousand views, 2000 views. And then one day it just popped and then it just continued to pop. And it was getting like 5,000 views a day for like man, months and I don't know specifically what it was. People really liked that part where I asked him who the strongest person was. And yeah. I think everyone assumed it would be Brock. And he interrupts my question to go, John Cena, John Cena. <laughs> and I think that people were like, it was so weird. If you look at the comments on that video, people are like, no way it's John Cena. Like, it's clearly Brock Lesnar. It's like, if the man who's yeah. been in the ring with all of these people is telling you who it is, maybe we should take his word for it.
0: How does WWE view you now, or what's your relationship with WWE? Because now that you're you're doing things a little bit differently, like I can tell you, sometimes it's easy to get interviews through them. Sometimes it's impossible to.
2: It was definitely very easy when I was with, and I, if I go, if I go through my career path here, it was MTV Two Canada, so the, uh, pretty easy there. Then it was Sun TV in Toronto. Whenever they were in town, they would line yeah. up somebody. Then it was CBS, the CBS affiliate in Cleveland again, pretty easy, and then. uh, WSVN, the Fox affiliate in Miami, again, pretty easy. And I think that as I was in Miami and I was trying to do stuff for my own channel or trying to do stuff for my podcast, they were basically like, yeah, yeah, but where else is it going to air? We want to get the biggest bang for our buck here. And I can't remember who it was that said it, but another wrestling personality was basically saying, a wrestling journalist was saying, if you don't have call letters, it's really difficult yes to yeah to get coverage with WWE and I can agree with that. And I, and I understand where they're coming from. They want to get they want to appeal to the mainstream. And I understand that. So I had an Xavier Woods interview that was set up recently by WWE but it's not that easy. And SmackDown yeah. is in LA this Friday and I'm seeing what I can do to try yeah. to make something happen, but it's an it's a really interesting situation. They've relaxed it a
0: lot with me personally. Like I I agree with the call letters. Like if you start up WTURD, the turd, you're more likely to get it than like (laughs) anything. It's, it was so weird. And I think that a lot of the people that were there were used to, well, this is going to get aggregated because it always does. But now there's so many wrestling interviews. Those don't get aggregated because the people there are like, wow, Sasha, look at your arms. You're jacked. We're not writing articles about that. We're writing articles about Chris Van Vliet finding out interesting stories. More than we are, this person was on a CBS, NBC affiliate and said, come to the show this weekend.
2: Yeah, but I can understand where they're coming from. And this is why Sports Illustrated keeps getting these really big scoops with WWE superstars because it's Sports Illustrated. Yes. But it is – yeah, I I understand. They they want the mainstream ABC, CBS, Fox – because that's not you know, no disrespect to any of the wrestling websites, but it's reaching someone who might become a new fan or perhaps a lapsed fan exactly. who's going to come back. You know, uh, Fightful's amazing, but you probably have to be a wrestling fan to want to go to fightful.com.
0: Exactly, and we one of the conversations I had with a person in WWE around a Kofi Kingston interview last year, we didn't ask a ton about this that year's WrestleMania because one. The match was changing. His match was specifically getting changed between then. And the person said to me, well, everybody else knows that – or everybody on your site knows that WrestleMania is this weekend. All these other radio stations don't. And I said, I know. That's why I didn't ask him (laughs) about this WrestleMania. We can plug it within the interview. Uh, To me, I think that the view of media as a whole and journalism as a whole has to expand because wrestling's different. And media is always changing. Whether people think that's evolving or devolving, that's up to them. But it's just – it's different. And, like, you might do something or hear something from an interview that you do, and Yahoo picks it up. Like, Yahoo aggregates it. Like, you never know what will hit.
2: Yeah. I think that – like, I listen to a podcast called The Ed Milette Show. It's one of the podcasts I love listening to, and he's had Seth Rollins and Natty – and Stephanie McMahon on there. And and they're just talking about like business and life. And I'm like, yes, like (laughs) I want to aspire to that. Cause as you know, I'm not just interviewing wrestlers. I'm interviewing people from all walks of life. I just had a former FBI negotiator on the show recently and an astrophysicist on the show recently. So I want to get to a point where I'm not going to have you on the show. So I'm digging for some sort of dirt. I'm just on the, I want to have you on the show so I can pick your brain.
0: I want to dig for dirt. Bury somebody here, Chris. <laughs> who do you hate? Who do you loathe? Man, I don't Denise Salcedo. I agree. Oh I yes, agree. of course.
2: <laughs> just, just horrible, just the worst, horrible. What a diva! Uh, but when when you and I when you and I went off on the tangents, <laughs> the, it was so fun and so funny.
0: Like those were in QuizzleMania, For those of you who who didn't watch it there are people honest to god that think that like stuff like that is not a bit on the show and they think like that's how I really am and i'm always like oh god and if they don't get it i can't possibly explain it to them i can't possibly explain to them i'm not really like this in in real life like it's it's a joke it's fun it's that weird thing of it's entertainment but it's a show with me on it like oh my i tried Those my
2: best to like not have a character yeah I just tried my best to like be the best version of myself, like the most amped up energetic version of myself, but not to like play a character because I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a character. I'm not a wrestler. I went to wrestling school for a few months, but I'm not a wrestler.
0: Yeah. Unless I'm on an entertainment program, I don't want to do a character thing. Like I might do a bit for my show, but it's completely separate. But on Mania, I specifically wanted to act different every single time.
2: Like, which was so much fun and so it entertaining.
0: It was a blast. It was it was a whole lot of fun. Um, I'll tell you what's probably not a lot of fun, getting the absolute shit chopped out of you repeatedly uh, or getting DDT'd by Gangrel, in which I reached out to you for uh, making a finisher story for a feature that I did for him. You got hoisted up by Goldberg in a jackhammer now you, you have trained as a wrestler for a couple months. So you do have a, a general understanding of this stuff. And truly, unless you've trained, it's, it's hard to grasp how, how important that is. Are there any that I've missed? Are there any other moves that you've taken outside of those three that, that, that I missed?
2: I gave a rock bottom at an independent oh, wrestling show oh, in yes Cleveland. you did. Yeah. Who'd you I give that chair to? shot? Do you What's that?
0: Do you remember who you gave it to?
2: I gave it to Nikki Valentino.
0: Okay.
2: It was a match between Nikki Valentino and Josh Prohibition. That's, and it,
0: that's why I remembered the match. Josh Prohibition. I interviewed him. He's great. Both of those guys are great.
2: So I was, I was a ring announcer for, for Prime Wrestling, and I was sitting ringside, and Nikki Valentino came. And this is what's crazy. I can even say this out loud. I was the ring announcer for their main event, and it was Johnny Gargano. Versus Jimmy Jacobs in the main event. This is Amazing. 2013, right? So I'm sitting ringside, and Nikki Valentino was Jimmy Jacobs, like lackey at the time. Yeah. And he wanted to help Jimmy win this match, so he comes over and grabs the chair that I was sitting on. And I'm like, what are you doing? Like, you can't have this chair. And we're fighting over the chair. He ends up throwing it at my head, so I take a chair shot. And then it led to this, like, year-long buildup of Nikki Valentino went on a losing streak and blamed it all on me. Blamed it. it all on that moment. And wanted to have a match with me. And I'm like, I'm not going to give you this. I'm not going to have a match yeah. with you. you. don't deserve a match with me. But I'm going to give you a match with somebody who I'd like to call a friend. someone's very close to me. And it was Josh Prohibition's return after several years of not wrestling. And then at the end of the match, I give the rock bottom to Nikki Valentino. But yesterday, when I interviewed Jay White at the New Japan Dojo in Los Angeles, they have the ring there. Oh. And I'm like, would... Would it be okay if I got in? Because I can't be near a ring now. And you know this from training. You just want to kind of just, you just feel You'll the matter. feel. always want to do
0: something. I want to buy a ring so bad. Well, I, like, I know I'll get into it once every two or three weeks, but I'm like, I just, I just want it. Did you
2: fully train? Yeah. Yeah. Like, you've had matches, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I've had about 50, 60 matches, I
2: think. Oh, that's a lot. I've yeah. scrub
0: I've scrubbed most of them from the internet but I, I don't work a lot anymore. I haven't worked since before the pandemic and then when I did it was under a mask and like maybe three people. The people the person I was working, the promoter and one person close to me knew what those were and only one mm. of them's online and I got some positive interaction. So one day I'll I'll like put that out there and do something with it. But once once you get in a ring if you like it you, you have to do something like you train, yeah, so you you take a move, you do something.
2: Yesterday at the dojo, I ran the ropes. I took a bump and then Jay White was standing across from the ring. I'm like, let's lock it up. He's like, you know how to lock up. I'm like, yeah. So I've done that a few times. I remember I told Jeff Hardy year, 10 years ago during our interview that I trained at one point in time at the end of the interview, he goes, well, let's lock it up. And we were standing in front of a chain link fence. And I'm like, like, does he mean like lock up the fence? He's like, no, no, no. Like, Let's lock it up. And I'm like, oh, okay. And then you powered him into the fence.
0: Yeah. That's and then you were like, but I've, lo-
2: hey. I've locked up with Christopher Daniels after an interview. Ooh, Jeff he's Hardy. A, he's got a good lockup too. Damn right. He does. So I know, I don't think I've done off the top of my head. I think that's, that's it. Those are the moments.
0: So I came across that clip. I'm pretty sure when I, I went to Cleveland and I interviewed Josh prohibition on the scene and I grew up as a, Josh Prohibition fans, I saw him in Backyard Wrestling, the video game. Yeah. Him and with Matt, Matt Cross. Cross. Yes. So I was like, you know what? Let me let me do my due diligence. Let me research him. Let me type him into YouTube. And he had taken years off because he was a teacher and they didn't want him to wrestle for a long time. Then just casually they're like, Oh yeah, you can wrestle. So I saw that and I was like, Oh my God, it's Chris.
2: <laughs> I was yeah, slipping that that out. full match is up there. I'm sure it's not my finest work but that full match is up there
0: so it when you have asked anybody about this whether it be jay white gangrell uh breeze um sean spears goldberg we see on screen they seem pretty willing to do it and participate we saw gangrell's reaction you okay man like is is there any of that or do they pretty well know all right he seems to be all right with this he knows what he's doing he's a big boy
2: well, what you didn't see with Gangrel was we spent two hours in there. It was in Gangrel's Wrestling Asylum in Dania Beach, Florida. And I was doing a segment with my co-host, Lynn Martinez, mm. and she was going to learn how to wrestle. So we taught her like how to lock up and how to take a bump all very quickly. And we put together like a little segment of all that. And it was a ton of fun, and the viewers loved it. And then at the end, I said to Gangrel, like, I'm here with you. And I'd known Gangrel for years at that point. I said, I'm here with you. It'd be an honor if I could take your finish. He's like, oh, you, you think you could? I'm like, oh, yeah, I've taken DDTs before. And I just jumped too high. Like we talked about, you know, when you asked me about it, I just jumped too high on it. And I ended up literally impaling myself on the impaler DDT. <laughs> You're supposed to, it's supposed to be more of a front bump. It's supposed to be more sure. on like your chest. And I bumped and like took it right on my head, like RVD style.
0: You, you jump and pancake flat, right? Yes. Okay.
2: And I didn't, I didn't flatten myself out. I just jumped, and I was just like a dart going in, like a lawn dart going into the ground.
0: Let me tell you about one of the most humbling experiences in interacting with a wrestler. So I grew up a big brood fan, you know, the scary vampires. And then Gangrel is texting me smiley face emojis. <laughs> he's, a, he's a big he's emoji best.
2: guy. He is such a kind, nice man. He is.
0: I had to reach out to him to debunk a rumor that he was dead last year. I said, and I hadn't talked to him in a while, and I said, hey, buddy, don't know if you remember me, Sean Ross Sapp, are you alive? This is pretty important. Wow. People think you're dead. <laughs> and he was like, still, still fanging and banging, brother. That's what he does.
2: <laughs> I will say the Goldberg thing, Goldberg putting me up in the jackhammer was by far the coolest. Because it's not an easy move to pull off.
0: So, there there are, like,
2: those people, like,
0: if you're playing basketball against them, football against them, wrestling them, fighting them, like, but when they even get near you, you can sort of feel their athleticism, you know what I mean? Like, there are certain people that, like, Darius Miller, who went on to be an NBA player, I played pickup against him, and I could feel him rebounding the ball before he left the ground type of thing. <laughs> Goldberg's a strong dude, like, when he yeah. first hoists you up, like, was that in your mind, like... You might heave me this way, like not even like intending to. Like, there's that that oh, strength.
2: I weigh like 185. I knew there was gonna be no trouble getting me up. Also, I knew well, how to take. Well, that's the thing. Suplex. He's used to
0: lifting like 250, <laughs> 260 pound people. He doesn't jackhammer a lot of 185ers.
2: I I know how to take, uh, or at least I think I know how to take a vertical suplex. So it's just a matter of me posting up. But you can yeah. hear in the interview. As he's putting me into he goes, just make sure to keep your legs together. Yeah. And he puts me up, and my legs were, like, spread out. And as he has me up, he goes, put your legs together. And you see them like scissors close during the video. Yeah.
0: So the first vertical suplex I ever took, I forgot to post up. The The spot was this guy was going to suplex me, like, seven times in a row. And I forgot to post up, but he was so strong, it just didn't matter. And he just threw me. But posting up is the difference in getting vertical and just you're up and you're down.
2: The interesting thing about this entire conversation is if you and I were to watch a football game on Sunday, we've likely thrown a football. If we were to watch a basketball game tonight, we've likely dribbled a basketball and shot it. We've likely played catch for watching a baseball game. The really interesting thing is such a tiny percentage of people who watch wrestling and, more importantly, talk about wrestling don't even know what the mat feels like. And I find this so interesting that it's in all other aspects of sports, we have a pretty good grasp of how it feels, even if you're not Tom Brady or LeBron James, you've got a pretty good grasp of how the sport f- like, feels that's not the case in wrestling. I find that it so was,
0: interesting. That was important to me. Like I didn't want to be talking about something that I didn't have at least some elementary fundamental understanding of. And then after I trained, I was like, God, I love this. This is a lot of mm. fun. Don't want to do it for a living. Can't handle the travel. My body physically after a fractured neck can't handle doing that nonstop. But once it's in you, like you love wrestling and that's why I do what I do now. Like I love to learn more about wrestling from people who know, the most about it and then tell everybody, Hey, this is what I learned. And I think that's pretty cool.
2: Well, also go ahead. Sorry. sorry.
0: No, go ahead. Go ahead, Chris.
2: I just think that I think the really interesting thing about sports in general is you're never done learning. No. And you'll, you'll talk to someone like Chris Jericho or Christopher Daniels who have been in this 30 years and they're still figuring stuff out every single match.
0: And that's the beauty of it. There's always something to learn. You can learn from anybody. You can learn yes. from somebody who's never taken a bump, too. Well, uh, you got the absolute shit chopped out of you. Let's talk about that.
2: <laughs> so I, I, had done, I did the first interview with Sean Spears after he left WWE. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know that he was going to sign with AEW. So we did the interview. I was actually doing an interview for the latest Toy Story movie. And I was staying at like a Disney resorts hotel and I reached out to him through a mutual friend and he ended up coming to my hotel room. We did that interview and he goes, well, you're welcome at flatbacks anytime. And I'm like, I would love to come and do something with you guys. I'll reach out to you. Six months later, I said, um, let's do it. I'm going to come down. Yeah. I want to take a few bumps. I want to lock it up. And he goes, yeah, yeah, sounds good. And how about, uh, how about I give you a chop? And oh I'm like, boy. I'm like, okay, like, sure, I'll take a chop. Like one chop's fine. I said, why don't we make it a little bit more interesting now? Why don't we have all of your students chop me? He goes, oh, are you sure? Eight students plus Breeze and plus Spears. So 10 people. I'm like, yeah, I I could take 10 chops. And he goes, oh yeah, by the way, we each get two chops each. And then you see in the videos, like take off your shirt and get in the corner. And then it just began. And I, I really I enjoyed that despite what like the look on my face was and despite the gotta play that.
0: Gotta play that.
2: Right. And the red purpleness of my chest. I really enjoyed that. And it was so cool to be like in there with those guys. And it also makes you realize like they, he had a lot of very or both of them had a lot of very talented students there. Yes. But it also makes you realize the arbitrage between someone who's starting out and someone who's been in the business for 20 years, like those guys.
0: So a couple of questions related to that. Any permanent scarring on your chest, and two, who hit you the hardest?
2: No permanent scarring, and the the one that sounded the worst and felt the worst was the second, no, first one that Breeze gave me. Okay, and it's funny because Sean Spears was like, you oh, know, I'm not maybe maybe not known for it, but I'm a pretty good chopper. Like he was really talking it up, and I'm like, oh damn, like what have I got myself into? And Breeze, right before his, goes, yeah, I'm not really much of a chopper. And then he delivers like a uh, gunshot to my chest, but no permanent damage. But that night when I took that thumbnail photo was the peak of like of the injury, if you will, or the peak of how bad it looked. Then it, it went from that purplish red to kind of like pink. Then it went to just bruising like yellow and Brown. And I had the bruising for like six, six ish week, six days. Sorry. Six weeks, six days. And, then I was fine. I think my chest is still good, except I just have this handprint in the middle of it at all times. It's just very weird.
0: <laughs> so uh, I don't know how many people, how many of our audience know this. You, you've moved around a lot, Toronto, Florida, my neck of the woods, Kentucky of all places, uh, which is more like Cincinnati. Uh, but uh, then to California, like where else have you lived?
2: I have lived in a lot of places, which is funny because – I lived in the same house growing up till I went away to college. And my parents still live in this house. They bought this house before I was even born.
0: The legendary Dirk. What's that? The legendary Dirk,
2: Dirk, Dirk Van Vliet and Helen Van Vliet, who Helen just Vliet. celebrated their 47th wedding anniversary. Congratulations to the them! Amazing, 47 years. Yeah. So, in a nutshell, it was I went away to college, so that was Waterloo, Ontario. You went to college in a nutshell. That's amazing. That's it. Yeah, <laughs> that is amazing. Wilfrid Laurier University, Waterloo, Ontario. Then it was back to my parents in Pickering. Had a job in Peterborough, which is the hometown of Bobby Roode then it was into the actual downtown city of toronto lived in a few different places in toronto then it was vancouver then it was back to toronto cleveland miami bought a house in fort lauderdale was in the cincinnati area like you mentioned i was in yeah. cold spring kentucky they they and they just think of Los excuses Angeles.
0: they just think of it. sorry to interrupt you they think of excuses to develop new suburbs on the kentucky end of cincinnati like you'll just you'll drive up there and you're like is this a new city like all yeah, the time.
2: But we were 5 minutes from Cincinnati. Yeah. But in a completely different state. state. The yeah.
0: Cincinnati airport, a lot of people don't know, is in Kentucky.
2: <laughs> so it's, weird.
0: It's it's amazing. And now you're in California.
2: And now I'm in California with your good buddy Denise. Oh boy. I'm
0: sorry about that. Um you went you went from living near me to living near Denise, and as we pointed out, like you and Denise <laughs> geographically probably like five 10 miles away from each other yeah i could probably have driven to you uh 65 miles quicker
2: (laughs) yeah if i were to drive and it's noon here right now if i were to drive to denise's right now it'd probably take an hour
0: yeah i could zoom up the double a highway in 50 minutes and have gotten to you.
2: double a the (laughs) arn anderson highway
0: the arn anderson i i'm gonna do a big spine buster on those cops that hang out there right by that road in the speed trap driving 85, I'm ready to go, but (gasps) you're, you're in LA. Um, what, what does that do for your interview game? I noticed that you could, you're, it seems like you're able to get some more in-person interviews. You got, you got people that are there for media, people that are there for conventions, all kinds of stuff like that.
2: Yeah. So this is definitely a destination, right? Like people come to LA if you work in the entertainment industry. So that was one of the reasons I wanted to be out here because Stuff just happens here, right? Stuff happens in LA. Movie premieres happen here. Movies are filmed here. And this is a big press stop for people that are coming and promoting whatever it is that they're promoting. Plus, a lot of people, like a lot of the interviews that I've done, they live in the area. Like comedian Brad Williams or I just had Fred Rosser over here the other day for an interview. So it's just you situate yourself in a place where a lot of people are. And I also think that there's just a perception especially in the world of entertainment news, where when you're in LA, you're, you're in it, you're with it, right? It's the difference between like watching a pay-per-view on TV and being there. Like, yeah, you, you both experienced it, but it's different when you're closer to it. And I felt like when I was in Cleveland, it was kind of like, Oh, cool. That's cool that you cover entertainment news. That's cool that you cover celebrities, celebrity news and interview celebrities, but you're not where it happens. You're kind of, you're one step removed from it. So being here you're now in it and i think that that's been a big part of it
0: speaking of in it uh last year you revealed you're going to be in a video game the wrestling yeah. Code virtual basement uh now i know that they they have said last year was about putting the roster together this year was about motion capture next year is going to be gameplay it is a very slow process but but what was your process there
2: i am going to be the ring announcer so i've got a lot of Names, weights, hometowns, all kinds of stuff that I'm gonna read. We haven't started recording yet. I think that they're worrying about the nuts and bolts of all this. Yeah. But they did do a render of what my character is gonna look like and like they sent it to me. And I went, Man, okay. That's that's pretty cool.
0: So LSG told me that they sent him a naked version of himself. (laughs) So did that happen with you? Yes, they said he told me he was like He's like, man, they sent me a naked version of myself. And I was like, how'd you get my butt right?
2: <laughs> was he like a Ken doll? I don't like know. I,
0: I didn't. You know I what I mean? That, I wasn't that inquisitive.
2: No, I was wearing a full suit during the photo. So they actually just took the suit I was wearing and the tie I was wearing. And that's oh, my render. I would I would find it very strange if they needed a naked version of the ring announcer for some reason.
0: You never know. You never know. You could be a part of somebody's fan fiction. You know, you uh, happen.
2: That'd be very strange.
0: Oh, man. Uh, well, I'm very excited for that game. Excited to see that you're a part of it as well. Uh, some some other, like, sort of questions unrelated to to that that I kind of wanted to get to. Have you ever had a trash fire interview that you knew was a trash fire? And you said, this is never making air? Or mm. should I air this?
2: Hmm. Yes. There's nothing that pops up off the top of my head where I was like, that was yeah. awful. But there's definitely ones where I'm like, this is this is not our best work. Because it takes two to tangle, right? Like yeah. I, I'm putting my best foot forward, but if they're not meeting me halfway, then it's, you know, it's not good for either of us. But there's definitely been interviews and it's, and you know what it's like, like when, when you're being recorded, when you know, you have a mic either in front of your face or, you know, clipped onto you if it's in person and you know, there's a camera in front of you. Usually people are putting their best foot forward because they know that it's going to be out there for the world to see. So I haven't had any where I'm like, this is awful and never seen the light of day. I've had some where I've had a technical problem and the interview doesn't end up getting put out there and it's like, oh devastating and heartbreaking. I did a great interview with Kevin Nash and realized that we had no audio.
0: Oh, 75 minutes with Dan Severn for me one time, no audio him talking about his 1968 amateur wrestling stuff. And I was like, Oh boy. Then I did another one. This was a JF unhooked my mic as a joke and it didn't get hooked back up. Oh, the person before I interviewed the inspiration recently Turned off my mic. I leave them on all the time. That way I can just turn on task Cam and run. They switched it off, and I had to, yeah. like, pull a lot of tricks to, to salvage. Well, uh, you've got
2: to move away from task Cam over to uh, Zoom. I learned that the hard way. Yeah. I did it. And you can actually see my interview with Luchasaurus. I was using the task Cam recorder. Halfway through, it just decided to power off. Yeah. So the first half of the interview. I got on task Cam because of you. Well, then I learned... Actually, I have it in front of me for some strange reason. I have no idea why this is on my desk. This oh, man. Zoom H4N is so much of a better device. It was but I got I bought the task cam because it was like half the price. I'm like, oh, they do yeah. the same thing. No, they don't.
0: No. Okay. Well, I'm There's gonna, no I'm gonna with switch no interference
2: with this one. I'm gonna H4N. switch to that. I'm I'm for sure. In fact, in the that. wrap up to the Luchasaurus interview, I called it the trash cam. I, I remember Take that.
0: I remember that. That was good stuff. Uh now I know you say it's cliche. What do you think was your best interview?
2: It's so difficult because, you know, it's like a parent picking their favorite child, the but one
0: I just did with you.
2: <laughs> that was definitely, it. That was it. which everyone can check out on my, on my channel. Donald Glover family. can
0: suck it. I'm breaking
2: these records. <laughs> <laughs> it's gotta be the rock and it's the rock for so many reasons. And like the rock meant so much to me growing up. I really became passionate about wrestling during the attitude era. So I would walk around my high school asking people questions just so I could shout, it doesn't matter what you think, at them. It doesn't matter what you think. I had to, you know, put a, turn it up there a little bit. So The Rock was at the top of my bucket list when I started doing entertainment news. And I knew that it would be a possibility. I just didn't know when or how. And all of my friends were getting interviews with The Rock, you know, 7, 08, 09, 10, all the way up. I finally ended up getting the rock in 2012 and it was backstage at raw so not only did i get the rock in person but i got the rock in his element in the element that i like grew up watching him in so look they always say you shouldn't meet your heroes but if your hero is the rock do whatever you can to meet your hero because he's kind he's funny he's He's self-aware, which is the biggest thing. He does this thing, which is so rare with celebrities. He understands the position he's in. He knows that you're going to go tell your mom and your dad and your sister and your aunt that you interviewed Dwayne Johnson. And if it wasn't a good experience, he knows you're going to share that with them. He makes the moment so enjoyable. And he goes out of his way to make the moment like about you he'll put his hand on your shoulder or he'll point out something you're wearing. Oh, it looks like you've been working out. Like he'll do something to make you go, Oh, wow. Like this was <laughs> a moment. So it's the rock. And, you know, I joke about it all the time, but I'm so grateful that I've been able to interview the rock once, let alone, you know, the nine times, not that I'm counting.
0: Well, let's make this moment about you because I, I did my research before this Chris. Uh-oh. And I happen to know that in 2007, on the Tackle Warehouse Pro Circuit, you caught 15 bass and won $983.
2: <laughs> Was that on Lake Champlain?
0: I, as if I would know. Wow. As if I would know. I know in 2017, in the Phoenix Bass Fishing League, you caught 10 bass. Which was uh, seems to be a good number. I don't know Dang. anything about fishing. In fact, in fact, the limit of what I know about fishing is what you told me around mm. Fightful Feast and and sort of your, your venture there. But you're a big fisherman.
2: 2017 must have been one of the Lake Okeechobee tournaments that I did in Florida. I'm sure, it was. <laughs> I'm I, I love bass fishing, and if you haven't learned throughout the course of this conversation, when I'm passionate about something, I go all the way in on it. I I don't check the depth of the water. I don't check the temperature of the waters. dive all the way in and figure it out when I get in Even there. when you're fishing? Yeah, I definitely don't dive into fishing. That was more metaphorical, not okay. literal. <laughs>
0: okay. Because, I mean, I, I, listen, I've watched Naked and Afraid a few times, mm. and there was a guy who tried to catch a deer on foot one time because his bow broke. And I was like, is Chris Van Vliet diving in there? Is he no, literally diving in? Not naked. Well, but, hopefully, but not if virtual basement has anything to say about that. That's going to be bring, a mini game bringing it
2: right back around here. That's
0: going to be a mini game right there.
2: I caught my first fish when I was four years old and pun intended was hooked. Oh. And I just loved fishing and it became, it really took over my life. I was subscribed to all the fishing magazines. I would wake up early on Saturday morning back when it was a thing to watch fishing shows on Saturday morning. I watched them all. And when I was 14, I fished in my first bass tournament on Sturgeon Lake in Fenland Falls, Ontario. And it just became a part of who I was. In fact, so much a part of who I was that I was playing rep baseball, like travel baseball growing up. And I was also playing hockey. And kind of one summer realized, like, I'm fishing so much and have so many tournaments lined up that I'm not going to play baseball this year.
0: That's pretty cool, though. I mean, like, I'm a baseball lover, but that's rad.
2: Fishing was my thing, and I was in tournaments with my best friend Aaron Anders, who's now my business partner in the fishing company that I have. We have a tungsten weight company for years. Without going too deep into this, no, pl- for years people, people tell were using, people about
0: it. They might, they might love this stuff.
2: They might, yeah. If you if you bass fish, you know exactly what I'm talking about. People were using lead weights for the longest time to get your bait to sink down to the bottom. Mm-hmm. Lead's terrible for the environment, and it can be very harmful to anything that might eat it like a duck or a fish. So it's been replaced now with tungsten, which is better for the environment and also like a denser metal that you can feel as it moves along the bottom. That was a very in-depth explanation to say that we have a fishing company called Woo Tungsten, W-O-O exclamation mark, Tungsten. And we sell all kinds of different tungsten products. But the tournaments that you've referenced here, it became a thing for me. So I was fishing in a lot of tournaments in Canada. And then once a year, me and usually my friend Aaron would either drive to upstate New York. We'd go to Plattsburgh and fish in tournaments on Lake Champlain. Or when I was living in Florida, we would... Actually, there was some on Lake Erie when I was living in Cleveland. And then there was some when I was living in Florida. Lake Okeechobee is one of the best bash fishing lakes in the world. I lived an hour from it. And there's just something, man. It's tough to explain. Fishing is kind of like pro wrestling, where when you find out that someone loves it, It's like that moment in Step Brothers. Like, did we just become best friends? (laughs) Yep. And, you know, I I would like rhyme off like all these different pros that I've now become friends with or friendly with or I've fished with. It's a really cool thing. I will say the one downside to owning a fishing company is I spend a lot less time fishing now (laughs) because I'm spending so much time working on the business. Of course.
0: So I'll tell you my favorite thing about fishing in researching this, because I don't know anything (laughs) about fishing. It's when you've got the pictures of somebody holding up two fish like that. Mm -hmm. Like, it might as well be Steve Austin cracking a couple of beers. (laughs) Like, I I like to imagine they slam those fish together. They chuck it over there. Somebody catches it like... (laughs) It is, it is so cool looking. And they've got like the gear with all their sponsors on it and all that stuff.
2: Yeah. Yeah. There's there's I definitely a, a huge element of education when it comes to bass fishing in the same way that there's like that education that's missing from like when someone doesn't watch pro wrestling, like, you know, instantly like, Oh, don't you know, it's fake in bass fishing is like, so you eat them all right. And it's like, <laughs> well, actually we take a photo and release them. You let them all go. Yeah, we let them go so we can catch them again when they're bigger one day. Really?
0: Wow. That's fascinating to me. I didn't know that.
2: Yeah, there you go. So in Plus,
0: a... it just makes financial sense.
2: <laughs> <laughs> right. If everyone kept their fish, there'd be no more fish for us to you know, catch. But in a bass tournament, it's, it's your five biggest bass. You keep them alive in your live well on the boat, which is circulating fresh water into it, and the fish stay alive in there. You weigh them in. It's the heaviest weight over the course of – the tournament whether it's one day two day three day four day and then the fish get released back into the lake
0: it's pretty rad so as we as we wrap up a couple more questions for you uh you and i have spoken about you know how difficult or easy it is to get aw interviews i know that you did some work with them in the past did that affect your ability positively or negatively it seemed like you had a pretty positive relationship with them for the the few shows you did or uh, was I was it one show or a couple shows
2: uh, two shows okay and then also like the road Two, I did like a like a, on their YouTube channel yeah. so I did three things with them I guess but leading up to all of those like leading up to the first event leading up to the first dynamite I was either friends or friends of friends with people who had signed there like Chris Jericho was the first mm-hmm. AEW interview that I did the the infamous backseat of the car interview that I did with him yeah And then Jericho had Tony Khan on his podcast. And I reached out to Jericho and said, actually, no, I tweeted that I wanted to interview Tony Khan and I tagged him and Jericho retweeted it. So I messaged Jericho and I said like, Hey, thank you for the retweet. But like, do you think this is possible? And he's like, I don't know. I'll ask. Ended up getting an interview with Tony Khan. Ended up getting an interview with Cody, who I'd interviewed before with WWE and Ring of Honor. So I was interviewing a lot of the people who were the big players in AEW. And this was before they had like the system set up where it was like, you need to ask someone for approval and then you got approval and then they set up a time. This was more of just like, I was contacting people that I that I knew. So it was- The good old after days. Cody, I talked to the Young Bucks. And then after doing all of those interviews, they reached out to me and said, would you want to be part of the first episode? And I'm like, uh, yes, <laughs> absolutely. And I think that- It was so cool, first of all, to be a tiny little minuscule part of that first episode of wrestling on TNT in almost 20 years. That was so cool to be able to do something with Kevin Smith and Jason Muse. And I thought that was it. Like they said, like, we just want you for this one show. Who knows what will happen? That's kind of the way that wrestling works in general. And then they ended up calling me up a few weeks later and said, hey, can you be in Charleston, West Virginia tomorrow? And I'm like, yes, yes, I can. And then did that really cool segment with the Rock and Roll Express. But I don't know if it helped or hurt or anything. I think that all AEW interviews, probably with the exception of Chris Jericho, have to go through the same channels to make this happen.
0: Interesting. So uh, last question I'll ask, has there been a question that you've ever been like, what kind of reaction am I going to get for this? Is this question going to just not, not screw it all up for me, but I don't even want to say afraid to ask a question, but like, were there like, are there any that come to mind where you're like, "Uh Oh, what's going to happen hmm.
2: here in terms of wrestling interviews? I don't know. Cause generally I'm asking them beforehand, like, Hey, is there, is there anything that's off limits? And if they go, Oh no, nothing's off limits. And I go, are you sure? Like, can I ask you about this thing? Yeah. You can ask me about that thing. I'm like, Oh, okay. So now they're already prepped for that. So I would say, no, not, not, not especially I'm trying to, I'm trying to really dive into this. Sure. Even with just celebrity interviews, I will say with the celebrity interviews, because we talked about it, it was like a four-minute interview. You're trying to do whatever you can to make your interview stand out from everybody else's. I'll just swing for the fences. Of and if you look at like my highlight reel, like I'm, there's moments where like, I asked Gerard Butler if he would movie punch me. And he's like, yeah, here we go. And like, he does a movie punch to me. Or like I asked Rosie Huntington-Whiteley if she would give me like a model stare. And it was like, like it floored me. It was just this amazing moment. So I realized early on, to swing for the fences. And if it works out, amazing, you've got gold. And if it just you know, kind of fizzles out or it's a little bit awkward, edit it out. Nobody even needs to know that it happened except for you and the other people in the room. And I learned this from my very good friend, Jake Hamilton. He has a YouTube channel called Jake's Takes, and he's one of the best celebrity interviews on the face of the planet. And he's had these unbelievable moments. He danced with Angelina Jolie during wow. an interview. He got Morgan Freeman to read his own eulogy. Like he read a eulogy about my friend Jake. So like he had all these amazing moments and I went, oh, he's just going for it. Like he's going for it. He's building up a bit of a rapport and then he's going for it. And I'm like, well, I need to learn from that. And I actually started calling it Jake Hamilton moments. I'm gonna try to have a Jake Hamilton moment. And I would go into these interviews like, what can I do that'll make this stand out from everybody else's? And I've kind of just carried that with me through my entire career.
0: So here's my Jake Hamilton moment. Will you give me one of your Emmys?
2: One of my Emmys?
0: Listen, listen. Because fair trade here.
2: Oh, I am my the gosh. world's
0: greatest dirt sheet boy. Wow. Well, you know what? I do
2: have four of them. You got so. four of them.
0: I've only got one of these. Huh. I just know I'm going to win this again. So.
2: Which one should I give you?
0: I'll take the least good one. Whichever one you feel you deserve the least, I'll take. The
2: least good one. Because I
0: definitely don't deserve it.
2: Let's see. I will give you... Hmm. I'm ready. This is my most recent one, so... Okay. Here you go. Would you like to give an acceptance speech?
0: Yes, I would. Um, I would like to uh, thank everybody... Uh, because I worked really hard. I have not learned how to tie a tie yet, but from what I understand, if you work on a show with call letters, you can win an Emmy. I mean, look at John Alba. He won one, so <laughs> that's how I know that even though I don't deserve one, I deserve one more than him, so I'm I'm happy to accept this.
2: Congratulations, my friend. That's amazing. I th- I'd like to thank you. You made it possible. Well, no, you you earned this. I did. You're right. I did. There's actually a life lesson to be learned here. And it's that if you don't ask, the answer is always no. That's right. And
0: sometimes, based on what I see with John Alba having an Emmy, all you got to do is ask to win an Emmy. (laughs) You're going to win one.
2: You asked four times. Man, congratulations. Thank you so much. Which one is this? Uh, This was craft, on-camera talent, performer, slash host, slash narrator congratulations my friend i did
0: good i did good well, well chris you do good all the time you've got your youtube channel you got a lot of stuff going on tell the people where they can find you
2: well if you're watching this on youtube my youtube channel is just my name chris van Vliet. my podcast insight with chris van Vliet, wherever you listen to podcasts my website is com. we've got recaps and some great transcriptions of the interviews if you're ever looking to just read about them there and then on social media it's just at chris van Vliet, wherever you like to spend your time but Sean Rossap, this has been what a great day we've had. It has we've been a both, great day. You were on my show. I was on your show. This has been a great time.
0: We've been talking for about two and a half hours now, and it's, yeah. it's been a good day. It's been a very good been, day.
2: I and I, I'm sorry if some sort of giant news has broken during nah. this time, and you're not looking at your phone.
0: Listen, buddy, the giant news doesn't break until I see it, anyways. <laughs> wow, <laughs>
1: Man. what a heel! <laughs>
0: Everybody support Chris Van Vliet. Uh, he, He provides us a steady stream of news. Also, good advice to anybody that does interviews. Transcribe them or have somebody do it and send it to us. That makes a mountain of difference. But Chris Van Vliet, thank you so much. Thank you, brother. Until next time, guys, we're out.